Texas OU Week. It's the Tuesday night Longhorn live stream on On Texas Football. I'm Aaron Hogan. He's Jerry Hamilton. He is Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. And we are counting down the days, counting down the hours to the 119th meeting of Texas and Oklahoma. Fairly big game at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, number three against number 12. We're taking your questions, comments, and thoughts. And we're going to have some deep dive conversations about this game itself. Also, obviously, Jerry will have the recruiting thoughts. Rod's got uh, stacks of notes and ready to go with the deep that was dive breakdowns. Aaron, that was unbelievable before he started. Rod, I look like he had play sheets from the 70s. For, for- <laughs> it's unreal. Oh, it's, unreal. it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah, well, I it's, it's- That's why my wife kicked me out, and now I'm in the office in the back. <laughs> hey, Rod took the shoeboxes used to keep the recruiting letters in when he was a high school kid. He kept the shoeboxes for all his notes now. That's a, yeah, you go. That's a little, little taste of it. Boom. There you Look at that. Boom. There you go, baby. That's gold right there. It's gold. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> hey, that's, that's a lot of amoeba blitzes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> is what that is. Uh, well, so Rod, so Rod, you were a part of the uh, the Mike Leach game plan game back when yes. your first Texas OU game, right? When he dropped it on the ground. I mean, you got to drop one. some of your, oh, you drop some of your game plans. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only one I won. E, I don't even know how. We were down double digits because we fell for the old banana in the tailpipe, Mike Leach, dummy script <laughs> at the beginning of the game. It, that Tom Herman, Oscar Giles took it up to call Bull Reese, and he said, oh, this has got to be it, guys. Oh, this is, we're about to roll these guys. They got down double digits, found a way to win the game. That's my only dub against Oklahoma, actually. I took a lot of L's after that, unfortunately. So, hey, man. It was all in fun now that we actually won the game. If not, that would have been a humiliation for the ages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mac, Mac and the staff were introduced to the Texas OU rivalry and Mike Leach in full force right then. <laughs> Mike right. Leach. We, we miss Coach Leach. Uh, you know, hey, man, one of the greats all time. One of the greats all time. Yeah, what a great yeah. story. Hey, Aaron, I got to say, great Nolan Ryan jersey, man. I, I love it. I love it back there. I'm, I'm a yeah. friends with John. He was right next to us at Alvin, man. And. Um, he used to play basketball with one of his sons, so that's that's awesome to see the Nolan Ryan jersey. Well, nice. a little name drop. Like you can't see it because it's dark, and we got the ball game on. But uh, it's signed. He re-signed it with all of his, you know, seven no hitters, all kinds of stuff. Oh, that's I have cool. a son. I have a son named Nolan, as a matter of fact. And uh, oh, uh, yeah, it, it, Nolan nice. is probably the most famous person in my phone, as a matter of fact. Um, he, I have his actual cell phone. He's a great guy, a great dude, great family. Wow. The, I've gotten to know the, the the Ryans through the Express and everything here since they built that ballpark and just great people. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously was, I grew up with, like you did, uh, in Houston and, uh, would go to the dome when he would pitch. And, uh, now it's amazing to ha- have any relationship with him at all. It was pretty darn amazing, but That's yes, thank cool. you for that. Yeah. yeah. So that came perfectly personally from him. That was a nice gift, but, uh, he's, that's a great family, but it's a big game guys. 119th time, the final time in the big 12. And, uh, let me get both of y'all's Tuesday thoughts. Like, where are we on this? The Longhorns, and or almost a touchdown favorite. They won this game, um, you know, a year ago Sunday by 49 points. How much ground has Oklahoma made up in your mind, Jerry, in this game? I mean, Texas has improved from even last year. How much closer are they than what we saw one year ago Sunday? My question is, my answer is, Aaron, I think we're, I don't know for sure we're going to find out Saturday. They have 43 new players on this roster. They turned over half the roster, um, which means – Half the guys weren't there for 49 nothing last year, so it doesn't mean anything to them. Right. That also means they've upgraded positions. I think they're better. Look, they're really good at linebacker. 
Um, yeah. They're better in the secondary. They're older. Gentry Williams is going to be a really good player. He was young. Peyton Bowen's a five-star safety that's that's finding his way uh, at Oklahoma right now. They have better. Billy Bowman's a, a more experienced player. Those guys are older. Uh, they're better. How much better? I don't know. Key Lawrence has a couple of picks this year. I think they, Texas still has a decided advantage. We talked – Bobby and I talked to Tom Luganville at ESPN about this right before the season. We talked about how Texas has a decided advantage on the offensive and defensive lines, and that is so big when you know you're moving to the SEC. Brent Venables knows they're moving to the SEC, and you're trying to get bigger on the line of scrimmage, especially on the defensive line for Oklahoma. Texas has a decided advantage on the lines, and and I, I really do think sometimes it's you know it's more we talk about our right, games one in the trenches. I actually do think for Oklahoma to have a real shot in this game, they have to be able to compete in the trenches for 60 minutes. I think that's a pretty tall task, Rod. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, what does, you know, the scheme, how does the scheme, the game plan make up for the deficit that they have on the lines of scrimmage? Yep. I think that's going to be the test for Jeff Levy, the test for Brent Venables, because it's pretty obvious offensively and defensively that Texas is ahead of that, you know, that construction, the roster construction of Oklahoma right now, and it's mainly with the big humans that Sark has emphasized there. Uh, so I'm really interested to see. I mean, Brent Venables is a smart football guy, so is Jeff Levy. They understand that. There's no way they're going to go out there and try to line up man-to-man, one-on-one, end up beating Texas. Uh, they just don't have the mass. They don't have the bodies to do it. Um, but I do think there are some things schematically they can try to do uh, to get Texas behind the chains early, um, to at least on the on the on, for deep, on their defense uh, going up against the Texas offense, try to get Texas behind the chains early. I think on the other side of the ball, I think what they'll try to do with uh, you know with with their offense is you know they'll try to take some deep shots and really try to test the secondary of Texas. Texas hadn't faced a quarterback like Dylan Gabriel. Um, this will be the biggest test for him, but it also will be the best test for the Texas secondary. Just hadn't faced a quarterback who has the veteran experience of a Dylan Gabriel. So I'm interested to see that matchup. Hey, we're getting a number of questions, Aaron, right out of the gate, and it kind of speaks to Rod's, what Rod was talking about. I want him to uh, jump in here. We've had a lot of questions. If Sanders can't go, and by the way, Sark said we'll know more Thursday on Sanders. Sanders is going to try to go. It's yeah. his last game in the rivalry before he goes pro, guys. He's going to try to go. This question is if he can't go. What do you think Sark does? How do you think he changes things up? Do you think he goes more jumbo? Just says, okay, we got a power run because we lost um, one of the guys that makes a difference here and makes this passing game go because he is the walking mismatch. Do you think Jonte Cook plays more and you see more four wide against Oklahoma? Is there a matchup you like more against Oklahoma with what you've seen on tape, Rod? Yeah, I'm with you. I think – we go toward the jumbo package. I think that's what Sark does. Uh, if you look at that last game versus Kansas, when JT Sanders went out, I think it was the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter. Uh, that's when he started to use a lot of that six offensive line package, what they call the Big 12 package uh, with Malik Agbo. 22 snaps of it. That's the most they've had since they introduced that package last season. And I think that was Sark's adjustment to losing JT Sanders now. I don't think there's anything that can really supplement for that loss. As you pointed out, he's the biggest mismatch on your offense, even including Xavier Worthy. I mean, that guy's a matchup nightmare. But the, the sixth offensive line package, with Texas specifically, it, it, it really does present a, a conundrum to defensive coordinators. I mean, you're talking about six 
320 plus pound human beings on that offensive line. I mean, you're talking about close to 2,000 pounds of mass in human being. A defensive coordinator has to respond to that, especially when you line up Gunnar Helm, another tight end. You're going over 2,000 pounds. You can play bully ball with that. Usually a defensive coordinator will respond one of two ways. It'll be just by loading the box to try to match that mass. And if you do that, well, you've got favorable matchups with Xavier Worthy, with A.D. Mitchell on the outside, even with Gunnar Helm. And you think, well, don't they have enough numbers to, to defend Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell on the outside if they only have three receivers going out on routes or four receivers going out on routes? You would think that these are long developing routes. You've got extra time for pass protection. That's why you're seeing these long routes down the field. And as long as they can, you know, utilize the, the play action pass with those long developing routes, you're still in danger. I, I went and did the numbers. Uh, Texas averaging over 14 yards per attempt in that in that game versus Kansas when they threw out of the six offensive line package. So you're talking about deep vertical routes yeah. down the field. And I think that's the element that Sark likes about that that package. That well, it's not obviously you're taking one of your weapons in the passing game off the field, but if they don't match you in the box with mass and with numbers, you can just play bully ball and run the football right down their throats. But if they do match you, you got favorable matchups on the outside, one-on-ones potentially with A.D. Mitchell and with Xavier Worthy. It really is a pick your poison kind of scenario. So I think that's why he likes that Xavier, that, that six offensive line package. Yeah, that'll be interesting. You talked this morning, Rod, on our show on the horn that, uh, you know, bend but don't break. I mean, we've had these, these, these teams coming in. Uh, Wyoming did it uh, for sure. Kansas tried to do it for three quarters. Just, you know, keep Texas inside. Don't give up the explosive play. Don't let Jonathan Brooks into the end zone. Don't give it up over the top. Tackle them inside the 20-yard line and see if they can, you know, execute the red zone. I mean, I feel like knowing Venables is still kind of outmanned here and outgunned. Even without JT Sanders, it's got to be a bend but don't break mentality. Less blitzing and more, you know, get let them get the yards between the 20s, but then see if we can force field goals, see if Burt Auburn can make the field goals and keep ourselves in this game into the fourth quarter. I got to feel like, you know, that's something we saw Kansas and Wyoming do. Uh, does Oklahoma do it with uh, with – better athletes than even those two schools and a better offense. I agree. Yeah, because Texas right now, one of the places they've struggled they've struggled with is the red zone right there. I think 108th in red zone touchdown percentage, uh, field goal percentage. Obviously, we talked about Burt Auburn struggling a little bit too. And Oklahoma's one of the better red zone defenses. Texas actually has, I think, the number one red zone touchdown percentage defense in college football and at the number three red zone defense in college football. So Texas defense doing really well in the red zone. But with Texas, because Sark, we just talked about, he he relies on vertical passing game and the vertical shots downfield. Because of that, even if you're talking about not the deep shots, if you're talking about deep curls, I mean, they're running 18, 20-yard curl routes downfield now. Even, you know, with that version of the, uh, the passing game, that is eliminated in the red zone. Defenders like myself don't have to worry about, you know, the, the top being taken off of defense. I can rally late to a lot of routes in the red zone. So I think that's why the, the kind of spatial Darwinism of it all, it, it does help. And I think it has it's advantageous to the defense once it gets down there. It's almost comforting these days to the defense to be in the red zone. So I agree with you. I think that's where you probably want to bow your back against Texas. And you might give up things in between the 20s, but right there inside that 20-yard line in the red zone, that's what Texas had a lot of struggles. There's Texas boy with the super chat. This needs to look like the game in Fayetteville. We will let them know they're not quite yet ready for the top SEC level teams. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean uh, that's uh, 
that'll be interesting, man. I mean, look, I, to your point, Rod, I, well, here's, here's, here's a question I have for both of you guys. And I asked you this the other day, Rod. Um, does Venables bring a lot more corner blitzes? Does he, and even if it's run blitz situations, if Texas in that heavy, um, well, he's a very smart defensive coordinator, right? He's not just going to play you straight up. Um, he is. I, I think he's going to bring more corners, nickels, safeties. I think he's bringing it all this game because after forty nine nothing last year. One of the things he can't do, and we've had people comment, he looks nervous in his press conference. Anybody that's watched Britt Little's press conference, that's how he always is. Um, <laughs> he's about seven Red Bulls in at that point, right? <laughs> he's just not – he's not that boisterous, energetic speaker. That's not his M.O. Um, but I, I think he's bringing everything. Because after 49 nothing, I agree with Aaron's point, but I also, I also wonder this from a coach's in-his-head standpoint. Um if he plays conservative and loses defensively after losing 49 nothing last year, man, does he take some heat? Agreed. Are you going to go down swinging is my question. If you if you think you're in a disadvantage on the up front. Because you've got to get Texas at one point behind the change. You can't allow Texas to dictate the tempo. If they do, Texas can run the football and throw the football on any down. Oklahoma's got no chance. I with you. I think early on, early downs, You'll see them run blitz a little bit to try to make some plays because they can't allow Texas and that mammoth offensive line to just run the football down their throat and play bully ball. What they can do, because Texas likes to pull their guards a lot in the run game and even in that play-action pass game, what they can do is try to shoot those gaps, all right, slant, and try to make plays in the backfield and penetrate and get Texas in, in some negative plays and then get them behind the chains. Then there are predictable pass situations. And, yes, I agree, Jerry, either they're going to blitz or they're going to come with simulated pressures, very exotic looks to try to confuse Quinn Ewers. And we know that Brent Venables has to put something on the field on Saturday that he hasn't shown on film yet. He has to. That's the only way really to confuse Quinn Ewers. And Quinn Ewers knows exactly what he is going to see or if he sees exactly what he's prepared, been prepared for by, uh, by Sark during the week. Really, we, those day plans, whether it be Bama, whether you're talking about Baylor, or you're talking about Kansas, man, he has started fast, and he has looked really confident, and he's looked like one of the better quarterbacks in the country. But when he is indecisive and when he doesn't actually know what he's looking at, uh, it, you know, play to play during the game, and he's not prepared for it, and Sark has even admitted, hey, there are times this season where teams have shown us a look on Saturday that we didn't uh, prepare for by watching them on film. They gave us something totally new. Texas had to adapt to it. Those are the two games that we assume where Quinn Ewers starts slow. And I think Brent Venables, paying attention, he's got to throw something at Quinn that Quinn hadn't seen. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be. Maybe he could go to some more three three high, three down looks. Uh, he, that's in his repertoire. It's not something he majors in necessarily, but it's in his repertoire. I don't know what he's going to throw out there. There will be something he throws out there. Texas just hasn't seen on film quite yet. He brought Gentry Williams from the corner to try to stop the run against Iowa State, which I thought was interesting. Um, anyone worried about big game Dylan Gabriel? So we've gone from big game Bob to big game Dylan Gabriel, Aaron Hogan. Yeah, <laughs> who didn't play in this game. And, and to Rod's point, the one thing Oklahoma does have this year is more team speed, right? They were terribly right. slow last year in right. this game. Uh, just sitting in the press box looking down on it. It was like, my gosh, these guys are – I don't think I've seen an Oklahoma defense that slow – 
Uh, Texas ran away from them. Bijan, they couldn't they couldn't catch up to them. Uh, this is a faster defense. There's no doubt. So I'm intrigued. all uh, you know X's and O's conversation about how Brett Venables attacks it. I see the point of we got to be aggressive, but at the same time, you know Texas can can attack that. Quinn does feel better to me against the blitz when he knows it's single coverage and he can throw one on one throws and not have that muddled muddled picture that Rod talks about. Uh, it's a chess match for sure. And, uh, you know, Sark, the one thing for sure, they lost the game two years ago in his first battle with Lincoln Riley. Uh, wasn't about the early part, though. They built a big lead. I mean, he's come out with great scripts, with great game plans to start both Oklahoma games. I mean, last year was the route. But, uh, you know, two years ago, Caleb Williams came in and with a Superman's cape on and, yes. you know, bailed Oklahoma out. Or that thing would have turned into a route, too. So I got to feel like Sark feels pretty confident. And I think there's a good awareness between Sark and uh, Brett Venables is, you know, their days at, at Alabama and at Clemson, uh, they, they've studied one another and uh, they're, they're similar, right? They're going to bring a lot, you know, just like Sark brings a lot of personnel groups and uh, positional groups and then packages. Brett Venables does the same. And that's, that's the chess match. That's going to be fun. I, I still think that, uh, you know, Texas has the much better roster, yes. much better players. So to your point, he's probably got to gamble a little more than he'd like to in this game to uh, try to force some issues and try to force some turnovers where he can to give his team an advantage. I think to your point, Aaron, uh, before we take a second for Energy Texas, if they if if early on in the first quarter, it's just if that from the their sidelines they say, uh oh, yeah, we we knew their line had an advantage, and now we're seeing it up close. I think that changes how aggressive you have to be, right? If te- if Oklahoma holds up a little bit in the first quarter, then maybe that changes how you look at this game. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be very interesting from Oklahoma standpoint when they're sitting on their sidelines watching the Texas offensive and defensive lines. Are they if Texas walks out there and yet yet this is a decided advantage? We're seeing it after two drives. Then it's going to be interesting to see if they get more aggressive. Uh, by the way, we have a special guest today, Daniel Cruz, Texas commitment who picked Texas over Oklahoma. Uh, he's going to join us here in a few minutes, or he's scheduled to. We'll see. He's got, gets out of practice, got to get home. But before that, I want to take a second uh, to uh, talk about Energy Texas, sponsor of the Tuesday night Longhorn live stream before we get to more questions. Uh, energy Texas is here to help Texans take their energy savings by the horns. With our Freedom Flex plan for $4.95 a month, you can switch plans every 30 days without penalty. Enjoy Texas size rewards and excellent customer service you can hang your hat on. We serve Texans without the bull. Energy Texas for Texans. Buy Texas, buy Texas. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the great state of Texas. Not back east, no overseas Texans. We're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and proud are still to be fighting for the little guy against big power. So thank you, Energy Texas, for being the sponsor of the uh, Longhorn live stream on Tuesday nights. Um, like I said, we're going to get to the Super Chats now. Daniel Cruz. Uh, center, one of the top 200 prospects in the country, is scheduled to join us uh, whenever he gets set up after practice. And uh, he picked Texas over Oklahoma. Um, it, it'll be a fun little conversation. I'm going to ask him how he would have attacked Rod Babers pulling. Uh, from- <laughs> that should never my- have to happen. That hey, Rod, I'm going to call, I'm gonna call I'm just beware. I'm going to call you a little Smurf out there on the edge, okay, when the 6-3-10-pounder oh. is coming at you. I remember playing against Nebraska my freshman year, and that actually was a reality. They they pull one of them centers out, and they'd ask Rod B the nickelback to end up blowing up the play. Set the edge, baby. Set the edge. I'm like, nah. Yeah, set the edge. Yeah, it was a 
That was like a mountain. That was like a uh, that was like a, a mountainside. It was like a, a mountain slide, right? There, a dirt slide, man. I didn't say yet. I tried my best. <laughs> uh, we have a couple of super chats. I think Matt pulled one of those back up. We can pull one of those back. Jordan S. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, Text says the advantage on the lines by a lot. Skill players through the two deep also advantage Texas. OU just doesn't measure up. They'll let look most improve because of their inferior competition. Um, I think, but I think to Aaron's point, they're a faster team. They improve. You don't turn over half your roster at a school like Oklahoma and not be a better team, right? And they're going to be better. They're going to look better, obviously, against Texas. Dylan Gabriel didn't play. They're a year older. Their two tackles they got out of the portal are good players. Um, I mean, the, the Rouse kid who will go up against, uh, he's from Stanford, Aaron, that transferred in. Guyton from TCU was a guy that Gary Patterson once said could have been a first-round pick. He has that much ability. Uh, but, Rod, I mean, do you see a fa- – to Aaron's point, do you see a faster Oklahoma team on tape this year, more athletic team? Yeah, it definitely is. You can even tell with the secondary. I mean, they got guys that now make the plays on the football. They got 10 interceptions already. Uh, one of the national leaders, they lead the Big 12 in takeaways. Uh, that is a deep – I think the strength is in the back seven. And you talk about the linebackers, that's where it starts. They got two of the best linebackers in the conference. And Stutzman is a is a stud. He really is. And he's a better co- – he's one of the better coverage linebackers out there too. We talk about Jalen Ford being a really good coverage linebacker. They got really two linebackers that are not liabilities in coverage. As a matter of fact, uh, they're assets in coverage. So if you, you know, put those guys out there in zone or even matched up sometimes against running backs, yep, tight ends, JT Sanders, if he's not 100%, those guys, won't. they can hold their own uh, at times too. That's something to watch out for. But there's no doubt there's more speed offensively and defensively. Offensively, you see it with the deep ball. Uh, they got some guys that can that can try to burn past you, and you know, they've thrown – but you got 22 deep balls and completed 13 of them so far this year. Uh, Dylan Gabriel's close to 60% completion on deep balls. That's something Texas has to be wary of, too. That speed of Oklahoma, that's one of the few things I think they'll try early and often versus Texas to see if they can just get a pass interference, you know, get a deep shot. They're not, they're not going to march the length of the field on Texas. I don't see that happening. Uh, they're going to have to get chunk yardage plays somewhere. Their best bet is a deep shot down the field somewhere or another. Yeah, I mean, for – to the roster point, Jerry, Rod and I talked this morning. Rod brought up the great point of how many players off the Texas starting 22 would you trade for the Oklahoma counterpart? Uh, there's not many. I mean, you got to kind of do a – and that's where Texas has the advantage without a doubt. But um, I also look at it and ask you all the question, uh, the, the Oklahoma schedule disadvantage or could be an advantage, right? The, the highest-ranked team they've played in the country so far is SMU, and they're like 51st in the country. Their schedule with five wins are not good. Um but to Rod's point that we've talked about, that they, they haven't had to show much, right? They haven't had that big game yet. So anything that Venables has in surprise party or offensively, oh, yeah. it'll come. But at the same time, you mentioned the 43 new players, Jerry. They haven't played in this game before. Texas had the Alabama game. They've played, and then they played at Waco in the blackout. They've been in a big environment with college game day. Um, they, were, they won this game last year. I think Texas has a big advantage as far as handling that early emotion, that early hype. There'll be a lot of Oklahoma players, including Dylan Gabriel, who didn't play in this game a year ago. And he might not even remember. Game. He was foggy. He yeah. might not even remember this game last year. <laughs> yeah, I just think there's, it, it, you know, it's the subplots of a big rivalry. But uh, Texas does have the advantage in prepping for this game, knowing the college game day thing, how big it is. Longhorns had to do that at Alabama, and they they passed that with flying colors. So uh, Oklahoma, you know, they could have some surprise party things going behind the scenes with the game plan. 
But at the same time, they got to handle the early emotion of this game because they found themselves behind in this game each of the last couple of years. That's a great point, Aaron. And we're going to talk more about it, guys. We're going to get to your questions, your super chat questions, your questions, general, a lot more conversation. Right now, we're going to bring in Daniel Cruz, Texas commitment. There he is. One of the best best center prospect in America. I'll tell you that. Hey, so Daniel, you're here with Aaron Hogan and Rod Babers. You see back there, Rod Babers were number 21, all right? Rod played corner at Texas. And Rod and I broke down your your senior film on Talking Ball a couple of weeks ago. So here's my leadoff question. You're pulling at center, and you see this Smurf corner out there named Rod (laughs) Babers. What are you doing to him on Friday night? (laughs) <laughs> Man, on Friday night, it's I see blank. And I just start, I just start running hard, and then I just once I see a little corner, I'm like, yeah, this is gonna be on the highlights right here. Once I, I, I know the screen, I get that corner. After you fall on him and keep him down, you help him up though. That's what we like about you. Absolutely, yes, sir. <laughs> Next play, that's the most important play for me, and then just try to get him, get at him, basically. Hey, Dang, I want to ask you, man. You played all along that O line. You just, uh, you're a lineman, period. Uh, wh- what's been the toughest transition for you? And what is the, in my, in your opinion, the toughest position to play on the O line? Toughest position definitely would, in my opinion, since I played all five before, but I would definitely say it'd be the left tackle position. Just understanding, wow. like, when people are blitzing and, like, are they bluffing? And, like, you're basically on an island all by yourself and, like, it can, it can be a very hard thing to reach out to that corner that's blitzing off the edge and, like, you know, this kid's faster than you and you really got to stay all the way back. But, like, that's definitely, like, it'd be left tackle in the center for me, like, understanding, like, who you're doubling with and, like, all the calls and, like, hey, we got to check to this cut. We got to check to this even front or odd front and stuff like that. But definitely left tackle, in my opinion. Nice. Hey, hey Daniel, you're one of the few guys that, um, you know, officially visited Texas. Officially visit Oklahoma, right? You've been through the you've been through the uh, Red River rivalry recruiting process, right? Yeah. I yes, mean, sir. by were you in the stands last year for the game? Did you attend the game last year? Yeah, I attended with my mom and my sister, and then we had we left in like third quarter and like something <laughs> the state fair. But I'm excited for this year. I think it's gonna well, be a yeah. great game. And then, yeah. What are your thoughts on that atmosphere? Being in, you know, what what are your thoughts on that game in general? Before we're not going to get into the Texas versus OU recruitment, man. You made your decision, right? But what are your thoughts on being there at the game? Oh, the game was it, it was it was just a different experience. Just seeing like one half of it being a certain color, the other half being a certain color, and then, like everyone just talking their trash, and like the environment was very very exciting. Just like upbeat, and everyone was just cheering on. And once Texas started getting going, they're like, wow, it was like. We're going to be a great team. And then it was just a different environment. That's the first time I've been in an environment like that before and, like, different life changing. And I'm excited to play in an environment like that. Yeah, you'll get to. Hey, Daniel, when you left in the third quarter because it was over, what uh, was your state fair food of choice? What'd you get? What'd you order? Oh, the oh, – I forgot the name of this. It was this corn dog. It was so big. <laughs> Excuse me. It was, it was big. But, like, they got it. Everything there in the state fair is just big for no reason. I don't yeah. But, like, I got that and then, like, some – for a uh, big turkey oh. leg, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then funnel cake. I had, I had to go with the funnel cake always. Staples and staples, uh, but like, there you, oh, go. Man, you know how you know how to eat good over there. <laughs> hey, uh, Daniel, you've been you've watched every Texas game. I think you've been at every Texas home game this year. Mm-hmm. What have you seen from the Texas offensive line? What has you excited about what you've seen from the Texas offensive line? Because obviously, it's a more improved, a year older group. 
But through your eyes, what have you seen from the Texas offensive line that you like? Honestly, I've just seen DJ Campbell, like, really step up. And, like, that's what I'm always looking forward to. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's starting to step up and always just stepping up to, you know, people get injuries happen and him stepping up to a big role like that, especially in a big game like that, the Alabama game. That's one of the players I've been watching a lot. And, of course, KB, Kevin Banks, you know, he's, he, ever since I was a junior, I, since I saw him play, I was just like, wow, like, this dude I look up to, this guy I always love seeing. And every single time I see him play, it's just like, dang, he's an athlete. He's good. He's He should be good. I'm going in the first round of the draft for sure. Hey, you have a – you have a before you enroll at Texas in January, you, you, you get to do something a lot – all the fans, a lot of us will never get to do. You get to be in the locker room after wins as a recruit, right? Oh, well, yeah. Or you were at the Kansas game, right? No, I had a homecoming thing, but the game okay. before the Wyoming game and stuff yeah. like that. What's it like being in that locker room after a team wins? Rod's been in that locker room after a team wins. The recruiting process is different, guy. And Rod's <laughs> recruiting process, all this happened your senior year. But what's it like being in that locker room as a recruit after a team wins? Man, it's just, it's just family. Every single time I go in there, I dab up everyone. Everyone knows me. We're all super close, you know. We're just all talking like, hey, congrats on the win. You know, everyone's excited. Everyone's just getting ready to go to, like, hang out after, go eat and stuff like that. But, like, man, the, the environment and, like, the energy in there is just, like, so upbeat. And, like, everyone's – some people dance and some people are just chilling with their friends, talking about the game and, like, how it went and stuff like that. But, man, that locker room is it's – a, it's the type of place I fit in for sure. It's the type hey, of place I – Hey, Dave, who, who, hosted, who hosted you on your visit? Who was your host? Uh, it was actually Cole Hudson, so – he also okay. remember my visit, and then he's a guy from, like, my area, basically. Yeah. Nice. And then, but he, he was uh, great. He, he's been, like, one of my closest friends, or, like, since the career started over there, since I started uh, talking about Texas. Like, Coach Flood got me cooked up with him, and then we just started talking since. And then he's really been helping in my recruiting. And, like, that's one of the main factors because, like, if I wasn't so close with the O-line, I probably wouldn't have chosen there. But, like, since everyone was so close, and, like, I was, like, family-oriented, oriented, and, like, that's nice. the stuff I kind of wanted. So yeah. I just felt really close and, like, I feel like that was a brother to me. Yeah. Uh, so, That's so cool. I got a question about this week, really. Um, um, and I know Aaron's got another question. So, your offensive line coach, is he an Oklahoma grad at New Richland? No, my offensive line coach is a Texas A&M grad. Texas A&M. Oh. <laughs> okay, so, um, I mean, is there any trash talk this week? I mean, what's – I mean – it, 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 even from those guys, I my mean, head coach, Coach Cates is AM guy too, right? I mean, yeah. is there any trash talk this week? I mean, it, it's a big game, not, right? Not this week. They they always say since like, hey, we know you're going there, so I guess we won't harp on you and like say all these mean <laughs> things since you're going there. I will look for you when you go there, all right, Cruz? But like, just for you, not the team. But like, they always pay little things like, you know, we'll just go for you, not the whole team though. But like, yeah. I totally get it. It's fun. I love it. I love them still. Yeah, A&M's got a big one with Alabama on Saturday, too. Hey, uh, Daniel, listen, I didn't know that. You get to go in the locker room after home games. That's great insight from Jerry and yourself. Uh, you know, coming in in January, you're going to finish early. That's got to be a big advantage that you kind of already know a lot of guys. You'll kind of come on campus and kind of get – you'll know the campus already. It's got to make you and your parents and your family feel very comfortable that you're, you know, you're you're learning the ropes already walking in here in January. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh Really, my, my mom was definitely excited for me to graduate early. She At first, she was a little hesitant because she was like, my son's leaving home early. But then she was like, this is really what he wants to do. And like just graduating early is just like the nutrition in the weight room is just going to be a big step up from like what I'm doing right now. And like really, when I head into early graduation, I was going to really focus on like learning everything and trying to catch up to like 
where everyone else is on, basically, just to be on the same page. Uh, last question, Daniel, before we let you go. And we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Absolutely. The for transition sure. to center this year. Most people don't know, hey, this is the first time you played center in a game on varsity. You've been a four-year starter on varsity, which is rare at 5A, 6A level in Texas. Talk about your transition to center. You're playing both center and left tackle. But talk about that transition to playing center in a game this year, how that's gone for you. Oh, man, at first I was like – I was a little hesitant. I was like, dang. Like, like I've, I've never had to snap a ball like a day in my life. But ever since, like, all season started, I was like, okay, I know this upcoming season I'm going to play center. So every single day after school I'd get, like, 50, 50 snaps plus. I'd be snapping with my friend just back and forth, back and forth, daily, daily, daily. And even on my off days I'd be snapping. I'd be snapping to my wall basically and just, like – the snapping was a big transition to me. It's just like you basically get into that, just snapping and then immediately going out to block someone. But like in the games, once I started practicing, and then it's really transitioned over to the games. My practice, I practice hard, I try practice fast. And like try all these different techniques as a center. But like I'm really thankful for uh, Jake Major. Like the reason I snap, like the way I do is because of him. And like I took his technique and like that's really helped me like just become a better offensive lineman and like center basically. And then just like everything else is just, like, Forget fit together. I just tell everyone where to go, and then since playing, since I've been playing for this team since freshman year, like I just pretty much understand everything, and, like understand where everyone should go, and like all the assignments, and like with all the checks and stuff like that. So it wasn't too hard the first game. It was a little, I was a little tired because since I didn't play the scrimmage, but like after that, once I got going, it really just clicked for me, and then I was like, okay, this is starting to feel like a really good position for me. There you go, guys. Uh, that's Daniel Cruz, Richland High. Uh, center, plays left tackle, plays D-tackle, plays until he cramps up, I guess, like all the skilled guys do. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Daniel, thanks for joining us, and uh, I, I assume you'll be at the game Saturday. Oh, yeah, yes, sir. There you Absolutely. go. Texas fans, that's Daniel Cruz, and we'll have him on again later in the season. Thank you very much, Daniel. Absolutely. Thanks, Daniel. Welcome. Welcome. See you all later. Yeah. That's cool. He's legit, man. Hey, hey Rod, Dude, you want to talk about I can't believe he never played center at all, though. Just cold. He just started up his senior year, uh, and, Kyle, and they're gonna project him. He's playing that well. They can project him at the next level. Yeah, I mean Kyle Crazy. Flood, Kyle Flood recruited him at center. Uh, Oklahoma beat ball, A and M, Ohio State. Everybody recruited him as a center, um, and on all those schools have the number one center on the board in the country for them. Uh, so yeah, that just that that goes to his competitiveness, right, Rod and Aaron? I mean, I'm not sure. the guy that you know he. The other thing is he knows who he is. He knows who he is. He knows where he projects, Aaron. And I think that's the big thing. He's not fighting what he is as a player and where he projects best. Well, and tell me, tell us about that. The uh, the, the move. I'm obviously it's probably size driven of why he would be yeah. a center, not a tackle. Arms and the, the length and that kind of stuff. Um, but what, what makes him the number one center in the country on people's boards? What are, what are his special traits that people like so much? Yeah, so I, the way I describe Daniel is, um, and I went to see him early in his junior year, and, and I describe him as a guy that has tackle feet, but a guard center body, and we're talking height, arm length, and all those things, right? Uh, same arm length Creed Humphrey had, by the way. So yeah. I'm not saying he has short arms. I'm saying he has the same arm length of a Creed Humphrey. But he's got the nastiness. Look, he's got that. See, he mentioned DJ Campbell because that's who he is on the field. Rod broke down the film. He's got that type of Casey Stutter, that DJ Campbell stuff about him. But I think you guys saw right there why they project him at center. He's super intelligent kid. He's mm -hmm. football smart. 
He's got a really good understanding, um, and he's embracing what he is. He's not fighting what he is. He's, he's smart enough to say, okay, this is my best projectable position. Let's get on with it. I'm just going to go to be the best I can at it. Uh, so I think he checks all the boxes these coaches are looking for in a center prospect. And then when you get that the feet of a tackle along with all that, you got a chance to be a really, really good player. Yeah, part of those, the, the O-line group. Uh, I know, Jerry, you and I have talked about it during the watch-alongs, during the games, the improvement of D.J. Campbell. That's one of the things we've kind of watched as it's gone. What have you seen from him from game one where he struggled a bit against Rice and, boy, last week uh, against Kansas, he's just mauling people. Yeah, I want to get Rod's thoughts on that as well. Um, but I think, see, here's the thing with a young guy, young lineman. Your first start, right? And here's the thing with DJ Campbell, too. He played as much D-tackle as he did offensive line at times of his high school career. Then he played offensive tackle. So he's moving into guard at the college level, the Power 5 level, and he's learning a position for the first time. So he's trying to learn it fast because he has expectations of playing, right? But that that sometimes it just takes time. And I think early in the season – you can, I always say the game when the game starts slowing down, no matter what position you are when the game starts slowing down, it looked like it was moving fast for him against Rice Rod, but I think mm-hmm. it's still slowed down. That Does that mean he's going to be perfect in pass protection? No. But I do think the game's starting to slow down. The things in his peripheral, everything he's seeing, uh, the communication with Jake Majors, picking things up quick, and boom, here we go, time to snap the ball and go. I think everything's starting to slow down for him a little bit. Yeah, um, you can tell, especially with a young guy, right? They uh, Their feet are usually uh, going to a different place than their eyes. Uh, Coach Akina said, when you when you, we have good technique, good fundamentals, your feet go, your eyes go. Yeah. Um, Got to have your eyes in the right place. A lot of times, young players at a lot of different positions, eyes are in the wrong place, eyes are wondering. Um, I think that's the case with a lot, a lot of young offensive linemen, too. So to get that footwork down, especially when you're changing positions like that, you're talking about going from – uh, uh, playing outside in the office line. I just heard Dan, Daniel Cruz talk about it, playing tackle. You're more isolated on the island, right? Um, you got to use your athleticism more in space. You're playing guard, a lot of different footwork, hand placement than you have when you're playing tackle. Um, so I, I think for those young guys, just take some adjustment. There's a period of adjustment. But one thing that I, I don't think you have to worry about with DJ Campbell is the physicality factor. He likes to be physical. He likes confrontation on the football field. That's something you can't teach on the offensive line. You need Daniel Cruz. You need a guy that's got that level of nasty in him, a certain level of violence, because a certain level of violence is required to play on that offensive line and on the defensive line too. And it's hard to teach guys that. Yeah, you can't teach the size that's God given, but you also can't you know can't teach that attitude. That attitude where you embrace the mentality of physicality. And you know he DJ Campbell loves it. He loves it. He loves you know, blocking until the whip, the final echo of the whistle. Uh, he'll he'll go uh, tee off on a guy, try to set the tone. He's one of them, and I kind of like that about his game too. No question about that. And uh, a lot of talent coming in on this line of scrimmage. And we talked about if you're just tuning in here late in the Longhorn live stream and the uh, uh, the Tuesday night version, then variety. The just the the lines of scrimmage have changed so much, Jerry, in this Matt rivalry, Rod, in this rivalry. I mean, uh, Oklahoma with beaten balls, you mentioned for so long won this line of scrimmage, kind of owned the line of scrimmage in this game, uh, and it's flipped, and that's really where the, the biggest advantage is. I mean, Texas probably has an advantage on the skilled players on the outside, probably a running back, uh, but, man, the offensive line and defensive line where Texas has just excelled with Murphy and Sweat and the whole crew, Jalen Ford in the middle, that's that's really where Texas, I think, you know, that's where the substance comes from in Texas. When we talk about are they number one, are they a team that could be the, the top team in the country, 
it, it, it's up front. And Daniel Cruz, just another one of those guys that's coming into this program to continue to build it into the SEC. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I agree with you on that, Aaron. Um, Jordan S., another yes. super chat here. Sideshow Bob getting the yips is concerning. I get anxiety watching Texas field punts now. Um, look, he's talking about Bert Auburn. I will say this, though. Snaps haven't been great. Um, that was talked about. Brian Irwin on lunch with the coach talked about this. If, if that hold is an inch off because of snap being outside or high or low, where, you're, you, where you plant your foot, if that holds an inch off because the snap wasn't well-timed, wasn't accurate, Rod, guys, that affects a kicker. And hmm. it, if we were getting perfect snap hold, and I'm not saying anything at Sanborn, he's doing a really good job dealing with snaps that haven't been accurate. But if you're not accurate in that, you know, if it was accurate snap hold, everything was perfect and Auburn was missing, I think it might be a bigger issue than what I've seen right now. I think especially in the Kansas game, the snaps just weren't there. Mm. So you say it's multifactorial. Yes. Yes. Okay. Hey, well, um, locker rooms, kickers go a little mental sometimes, right? They're like a putter. No, no question. Yeah. Putter, a putter, having a, a golfer with a putter that hadn't made a three-footer in a while, right? I mean. Well, it's yeah. all timing-based. It's timing-based, right? You're yeah. taking your steps. As you said, you're planting right where you're supposed to be, and the ball needs to be right to square your foot. If it's not a little off, it's a little off, and you're kicking the ball 50 yards. Uh, that's all important. And uh, Sark mentioned that on Monday at the uh, post-Kansas news conference, that it's not just Burt. Uh, we're working on it. He's got to make those kicks. But at the same time, it's snap hold It's snap hold kick. All yep. three have to be in front. And, you know, a game like this, every every kick matters, especially with the red zone issues Texas has had. Uh, maybe a game plan for Oklahoma to try to play some bend but don't break yep. um, in this game to try to try to stay in it. Uh, as much as they can, but same time, you got to make those kicks. Uh, we have another super chat here. Jareth uh, Mulholland, thank you for that. N numbers to consider. Texas strength, a schedule 10th per on three. Uh, yes, Texas opponents are 17 and eight. OU unranked outside top 25. I think it's about 37th in, in the ranking like that. Uh, wins, losses, 13-12. Oklahoma hasn't seen this defense. Yeah, I mean, look uh, – Oklahoma hasn't seen a team as, as good as Texas. There's no doubt about that. Um, and and I, that's one of the things I want both of you guys' opinions on, So, which leads me to this. Texas has been one of the least penalized teams in the country, 15th in penalties per game. Oklahoma's 98th in penalties per game, 7 per game, 104th in penalty yards per game, over 61 penalty yards per game. So they've had some issues with penalties, and they haven't really been tested. They ha they've had a talent advantage in games that they won. Now they're walking into a, a field in an emotional game, onto a field in an emotional game, against a team that has a talent advantage. Mm -hmm. they really got to watch themselves from the emotion standpoint, from the execution standpoint, uh, because if there's one area, we talk about the trenches, but if there's another area, Texas has a big advantage. They've been a cleaner football team that has executed – at a higher level against better competition this year. Totally agree. Uh, that goes to them being battle-tested, right, and uh, being a disciplined football team under uh, really, really adverse circumstances in the, you know, in the second half, being in competitive games against quality opponents. Um, so I'm with you. I, I think Texas, for this environment, it goes back to a team that's experienced in the Texas OU game. There's a great stat about – you know, first-time starting quarterbacks in this game versus experienced quarterbacks in this game. Uh, only four times uh, has a first-time starter beat 
a, a, a veteran, experienced quarterback from the Texas OU game. Dylan Gabriel is a first-time starter. Quinn Ewers has played in this game. It's just the, the emotion, the, the magnitude of it, how unique the atmosphere is. There are a lot of things that play a role in once you've been there, once you've experienced all that, then you're able to control your emotions better. Uh, you're able to, able to use that emotional energy rather than have that emotional energy overwhelm you. And I think it happens to young players. I players who haven't played in it before. You damn near hyperventilating uh, by the first drive because you're so excited. As a veteran player, you understand it's a long game. And then once you get past the first, like, five minutes of the rush of everything, man, it all it all goes kind of blank anyway. You just get back to football. And that's what you want to do. But early on, man, jitters could be a thing. And I could see young guys making mental mistakes on both sides, potentially. Some of the young guys that play. Yeah, as we talked about, Jerry, I mean, Texas has been in a game to this magnitude already with Alabama. And even the Waco game was a blackout and one of the better crowds uh, that Baylor's ever had for a, for a night game. And a game at Waco and Texas handled that well without the penalties and everything you're talking about. They're very clean, uh, very disciplined in that game. So you feel good about Texas. It's just a... You know, the mix of players that are veteran players who, you know, for, for a lot of these guys, you mentioned JT Sanders, if he can play, this is probably his last Texas OU game off to the draft. Yeah. So many of these guys, they're not going to the SEC. They're not worried about it, right? They're going off to, to be done. And they're going off to, you know, play in the National Football League. And that's a lot of these guys. And so, and they were at this game when they, when they blew it two years ago. Uh, they've seen the highs and the lows of this game. I still think there's a lot of Oklahoma players that have, that have not, that, that they, they're new. They've turned the roster over so much that this is going to be a brand-new experience for them. And the fact that they're not battle-tested. You know, Oklahoma was supposed to play Georgia in the non-conference this year. That's right. And, and they canceled that game when the SEC decision was made by Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, you wonder if they would better off, better serve playing that game. May not have won it, but uh, playing the likes of SMU and Cincinnati and Iowa State and Arkansas State, uh, this is a big step up for them against a team in Texas who has, you know, been there, done that already this year. It's a good point, Aaron. Uh, again, this is a Tuesday night Longhorn live stream. My name is Jerry Hamilton. That's Aaron Hogan and Rod Babers. Uh, Thunderpup, uh, we have a super chat here. Thank you, Thunderpup. Brett Venable's media chat today was interesting. He knew more Texas players by name and strength, whereas he was pretty vague about his own players except Gabriel. I think OU has surprises for Texas. I think that kind of goes yeah. to what Aaron was saying. One thing about not having to be in that game against an Alabama or even a Kansas who looked – somebody said, is Oklahoma the best offense Texas has played? Yes, they are because Jalen Daniels didn't play last week. Sure. I mean, Jaden Daniels. If he had played – or Jalen If he had played, yeah. I think Kansas was the best offense because they were so multifaceted, the Rod's point, points last week. Is Brent being vague on purpose? I mean, they probably saved a little bit for this game, guys. Yeah, no they have the luxury of it. They have the luxury of it because, as you know, they didn't have that big-time showcase game early on in non-conference, didn't have a big-time conference game early on. And Brent Venables was embarrassed last year, man. You got, I've been embarrassed in this game before. Uh, it, it haunts you. Uh, the, the entire offseason, uh, you know, spring practice, training camp, yeah, you're focusing on getting better, cultivating your craft focusing on a week-to-week opponent, but in the back of your head, you know as a competitor, you got embarrassed in the biggest game of the year against your rival on the biggest stage. And there is no excuse for not showing up in this game. So if you'll get – they'll fight like hell. I think Texas is more talented. Texas is battle-tested. But there's no doubt coaches, they're going to coach their butts off and the players going to play like hell. You'll get a hell of a fight from Oklahoma. 
just because, man, that 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 embarrassing performance last season, um, they got to get that bad taste out of their mouth. Been waiting all year to do. Uh, good question there, Jerry. What impact could Quinn making to New York have? These are, you know, this is his second big moment, right? National stage against Alabama. He played great and was the talk of the town, talk of the nation. This is another opportunity. I mean, there's a lot of great quarterbacks, a lot of great players this year, but uh, you know, these are the kind of statement games that uh, when you play well in, you people talk about you. I think it's a great question because look, here's the reality of college football. Whether people like it or think it's fair or not, uh, you win games, you're in the playoff hunt, you win awards. Okay, I mean, you're in, you're in it for Lombardi, All American. You just go down the list. I mean, just look at who's won the awards, uh, the highest percentage of those awards the last 15 years. Um, but yeah, I think it would be huge. Um, look, if Quinn goes out and, and we're not going to say has an Alabama performance, we'll see. But if he has something close to that and Texas wins a game and looks really good doing it um, after looking really good last week against Kansas at Alabama, uh, he's now stringing games together at Baylor and Kansas. If he puts another one on the board this week, Rod, guys, he's definitely going to be really in that conversation. And the reason Quinn would have a chance to me is they've just played the hardest half of the schedule. The first half of the schedule is harder, is, is more difficult than the second half of the schedule, unless the pressure gets to this team. I agree with you. I think for Quinn, you know, you got to have Heisman moments. And he had one early on against Bama. He had one against Bama. That was a Heisman moment for him. You know, you need a big stage to have a Heisman moment, or you need a, a profound, extraordinary performance, statistically, whatever it may be. Um, I think this is another moment for him. Uh, and the big games, we know Sark usually has him well prepared. Sark's in his creative bag, uh, so to speak. So he has a lot of great creative new concepts and plays to showcase versus Oklahoma, a marquee opponent. Hasn't disappointed Texas fans in that regard his first two years. So I'm with you. I think this is if Quinn wants to be in New York, it's, by the way, it's a tough year to do it. A lot of great quarterbacks out there, especially in yes. Pac-12 country. You got, you know, all around the country, you got some really good quarterbacks this season. And this is actually a really tough year for Quinn to crack that. What is it? Is it five, six? How many guys are they invite to the high finals? Um, it depends, it depends on the vote, vote. But, yes, you're anywhere between four and six. Yeah. Okay. Well, that to be that, you know, three of them might come from the Pac-12 alone. So <laughs> you got to get, you got to make sure that, uh, yeah, you have, you, you can't waste these big time showcase performances. This is the biggest stage. Probably in college football this week, no yeah. doubt. And those uh, those guys, Michael Penix and Caleb Williams, those guys will have their biggest games late, right? They're going to have those November showdown games head to head in a possible Pac-12 championship game. Uh, but it's not just for Quinn and the Heisman, right? I mean, you got guys like Xavier Worthy and the Blitnikoff and Jalen Ford and the Butkus, and um, you know these are the kind of games where you, you you put yourself you know front and center for those kind of awards, not just the Heisman Trophy, yep. but uh, Longhorns have a bunch of guys that are in the conversation for those national awards at their position. No doubt. I mean, and we've talked about this. By, by the way, great question coming up for you, Rod. We talked about this. Like, just look at Jalen Ford. Before the season, it was a foregone conclusion Jeremiah Trotter was going to win the linebacker awards, right? Jeremiah Trotter Jr. But Clemson's already got two losses. Texas yes. goes on and handles their business. It's amazing how things are going to change there. And it has nothing to do with the NFL draft. It has nothing to do with that. Or performance on the field separation. It has more to do with performance on the field wins and losses. Um, hey, Rod, great question here. How many times has Sergeant Mace as an assistant, and how did he do against him? 
Oh, that is a great question. I can't tell you on top of my head. That's something I need to go research, but I'm going to get on it tonight. That's a great question. I'm not really sure. Because, um, you know, I'm trying to think of Venable's resume from, you know, being a defensive coordinator, Oklahoma, if, you know, they had a cross pass there. Uh, you know. Clemson, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it definitely happened a few, a, a couple of times. I just can't think of the top of my head exactly what the stats are. I'll do some research. Next live stream, I'll have it. I promise you. Uh, by the way, uh, some people have asked about Amari Winston, 2025 tight end out of Calhoun, Georgia. Um, announcing Texas in his top six, and he plans to be at the Texas OU game this weekend. Amari Winston out of Calhoun, Georgia. They've produced a hell of a lot of good players. I've been up there for games before when I was doing just national stuff. Uh, so one of the top junior tight ends in the country, Amari Winston, will be at the Cotton Bowl Saturday, and he does have Texas top six. And there will be it'll be the two tight end class for Texas in 2025. So uh, that's a first out of state tight end name that is getting serious about Texas. Well, and that's where you go back to the beginning. If you uh, uh, hope JT Sanders can be as healthy as possible. So you guys who could, you know, obviously Brock Bowers is the front runner for the Mackey award this year. And it was last year, but uh, JT Sanders could also be in that conversation for national awards, Kelvin banks and some of the interior awards or the, the alignment awards. Uh, that's this kind of game. And they may not have another one like this, Rod. Uh, they may not have like with the marquee stage and college game day and everybody there to see it. Uh, there are a couple of decent games outside of this. Ohio State plays Maryland. and uh, But this is the game. It, you play it at 11 o'clock. It's over by 2, 2.30. It'll be replayed and talked about the entire day. Uh, no doubt. Of Saturday of college football. Yep, no doubt. Totally agree. Uh, Mike, so, thanks for the Super Chat, Mike. We appreciate it. Watching from Syracuse. Love the content, guys. In what ways can the OU defense make an impact and disrupt the passing game slash running game? Um, I, Jerry and I talked about it earlier. I, I think they got to get penetrate, get in the backfield. I think you'll see run blitzes on early downs. Um, Jerry talked about they'll probably try to bring the house at times and blitz on predictable passing downs. I think they'll throw in some simulated pressure, some exotic looks on predictable passing downs. But you got to get Texas behind the chains. If Texas stays ahead of the chains on Oklahoma, it's going to be a long day for that defense, man, because that means Texas is running the ball effectively. Uh, they got to they gotta find a way to force negative plays. Uh, to get Texas behind the chain. I think they'll do that early on with some run blitzes because uh, Texas just has too much mass uh, inside. They have too much mass on that offensive line. And right now, I don't know if Oklahoma has the bodies on the D-line to keep up for four quarters with Texas. Hey, we've had a couple of answers to the uh, Sark and Venables. 20, uh, 2017, maybe, uh, Clemson, Alabama. The other one people are th- asking about, which we'll research that, uh, when USC absolutely obliterated Oklahoma in the national title game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, four. I'm uh, Sark was either the OC or QB coach slash OC in that game, and Venables was DC at OU. Yeah, that one, uh, we'll have to look back at USC staff. Yeah. Those two are making sense to me. You might be right about that. I do know, yeah, 2017, though, Sark's with the Falcons as their OC. Um, so I don't know if he was in the 2017 one because he didn't go back to uh, Alabama until what 2019. Yeah, I mean, it was. 2018. So 19, yeah, he might have just he might have just missed him on that one. But I mean, you're right. I do remember that USC Oklahoma. That was uh, a what 55 something or other. 55 seven. That was an Old Testament style whipping right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Joe 80, thank you for the super chat. The age of the transfer portal. How do coaches handle transfer players knowing calls or call signs, et cetera? 
It's a great him? question. I'm not sure I have that answer, Rod. Don't they got to change him? I mean, don't you have to just I mean, them? Isn't yeah. that the way to do it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's why you see like like seven different signs being held up, which one's actually the right call, right? I mean, yeah. all the games you see on the sidelines nowadays, I think Texas is using NBA teams this year, which I thought was interesting. My, uh, my kid commented on that because he's an NBA fan. I was like, saw the Indiana Pacers sign. Pacers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely got to keep the ch- signs changing, right? Yeah. I think so because I mean I don't know the story that you know that Texas thought some opponents may have picked up on some of their signs last season. I, I'll talk to a coach. And, yeah, we can talk to you know Coach Irwin about it and just ask him. Yeah, I just think it, it's got to be as simple as we just change the signs, we tweak them just a little bit. I mean, I, I, unless you're being really obvious and predictable and your patterns never ever change, it's going to be really tough for teams to sit there and just decipher exactly what every signal means to every different position. Yeah. And that, that's on you at that point, right? If you're not changing exactly. your mind. Yeah. And that probably goes to the Brennan Stewart situation, right? Or the Brennan, uh, Brennan Thompson, Thompson, the receiver, yeah. Brennan Thompson, the receiver uh, yeah. from Spearman, who's now, you know, transferred to, to Oklahoma. But he doesn't he doesn't play much yet. But obviously, if he knows the signs, he can help with that. But I'm, I'm assuming Texas has changed those. I, I hope so. If not, then it's like, remember John, remember the, remember John Gruden won the, the Super Bowl uh, when he was with the Tampa Bay yeah. Bucks? Because the Raiders never change the signals. Hey, maybe, 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 Kyle, maybe Kyle Flood will pull a leech and drop the uh, the old playbook walking out of that tunnel Saturday. <laughs> no, man. Stuff like that does happen, even at the highest levels. Like, so that's pretty wild. Drop the fake playbook out there, right? Drop the, call yeah. sheet, the fake sheet. Hey, <laughs> Ashton Allman uh, for UT Boy Cook has a TD Saturday. Ron, I think we're getting closer. He almost had one against Baylor, but the feet got caught on the turf down there. This last week, he caught a little slant in, deeper slant in. Mm-hmm. Again, probably shoestring tackle away. So, Jontae Cook's close to making a really big play. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I think uh, – and Sark wants him to make a really big play. Right? Yeah. Sark, listen, Sark is really tight about his wide receiver rotations. He does not – let anybody just crack that wide receiver lineup. We know, ask Isaiah New York, ask some of these other guys like Casey Kane, ask some of these other players. You don't get to just crack it, especially we're talking about when, you know, Sark is in his bag, when the starters are still in. Maybe at the end of the game, when the game is in hand, he'll let some guys rotate in. He's usually pretty tight about that. So if he's letting Jontae yeah. Cook get them quality reps, he, he also wants Jontae Cook to score. He's a big Jontae Cook fan. And I don't know when we're going to see it. I wonder at one point this year, will they break out a 10 personnel package, um, which is just one back zero, uh, one back zero tight ends and all four wide receivers on the field. Uh, I, in Alabama, they did at one point, they called it their red package. When you have four first round wide receivers, it makes sense to put the fear of God in defensive coordinators and just throw those guys on the field all at once. Um, if JT Sanders doesn't play, Knocking on some wood here, okay. I'm knocking yeah. on wood. That does change the game plan. That's gonna ask you about that. Yeah, and I wonder if Sark will experiment with it. I don't think we've even seen him throw out 10 personnel since he's been on the 40 acres. He loves tight ends, though, guys. Remember, he says it's the most second most important position in his offense behind quarterback. And based on the numbers, I believe it. He is he is really, really like committed and bullish about hey, we're gonna have these tight ends out there. He, you know, 50% of his reps are usually 11 personnel, but then right behind that, 35, close to 40%, he's throwing in 12 personnel. And the only thing he is su- supplementing that with is this big 12 personnel with the extra offensive lineman. 
And now, post Biljo, post uh, Rojo and Bijan, you're seeing a little less. Two multi-back sets, 21 personnel and 20 personnel. And that makes sense, too, because you just don't have the wealth of talent that you had there at one point. Uh, by the uh, way, Ryan Nelson, thank you for uh, – he's throwing it out. Sark was the Raiders QB coach in 04. Norm Child was the OC. I couldn't remember – if uh, Sark was still on that staff, so he was not. So, hey, Aaron, I'm going to let you read Brandon Hughes' question. I want no part of this one at all. Uh-oh. Rob, why are Muhammad Williams not starting? Best players play right. Make it make sense. Congrats on the baby girl champ. Yeah, congrats on the take baby a sip girl. Here. Go ahead, Rod. Yeah. Hey, th- hey, thank you for that, Brandon. Honestly, hey, I was talking about that with you this morning. We know Alabama – sorry, we know that Oklahoma's going to throw that deep ball because Dylan Gabriel's really good at it, right? He's completing damn near 60% of his deep balls. And when teams throw the deep ball against Texas, and I think they're completing like a third of their deep balls, nothing to be overly concerned about, not a systemic issue. But who they're attacking, they're attacking the safeties, and they're attacking Ryan Watts with these deep balls. And I think one of the tweaks for Texas to, to better defend these deep balls against Oklahoma – would be just personnel, like personnel changes or to tighten up the rotations of your personnel on defense. We know they like a lot of safeties rotating in and out. There are particular safeties that are being attacked on vertical routes downfield, like a King Crawford. Nothing against the King Crawford's a good player. We're talking about the guys who are being attacked. By the way, Rod B got attacked because you'd rather throw at Rod B and throw at Nathan Vasher or Quentin Jammer. So trust me, watch, I'm throwing people out there. I'm I'm scared of Bash. You were physically scared of Jammer. You didn't want any part. Nobody wanted any part exactly. of that. Yeah. So I guess I'm talking about people that got attacked. I got attacked a lot. All right. <laughs> and that was the right move. So they're attacking guys like Keen Crawford. They're attacking uh Taft. You know, Jaron Thompson, they go after him, but he's an elder statesman. I would, I would sh- I would really tighten that rotation to yeah. Derek Williams, because he's our best cover guy at the safety position. It's a natural cover man. Whether it be man or zone, he is a and trust me. That guy closes the gap. He closes cushion really fast. Uh, so I love him playing more, and he is playing more. And Malik Muhammad, better natural cover guy than Ryan Watts, higher ceiling. He has better technique at the line of scrimmage, and he's a better ball hawk. The only downside to playing a young Malik Muhammad and a young Derrick Williams in that game or starting starting them in that game, so you, it is a highly emotionally charged environment. I'll even admit for a young guy who played there, sometimes it is a lot for a young player who's never experienced it. So I think our idea would probably be, the best idea would be play Ryan Watts early and then start rotating those young guys in once the emotional kind of tide starts to subside a little bit and we're just playing football and it's football. Then start to rotate your Gavin Holmes in there, your uh, Malik Muhammad in there, your better coverage guys. Uh, and, of course, Terrence Brooks, I mean, he's just a skill. Um, but Derek Williams, yeah, it's about that time. It's it's clear he is his feet are even move differently. Go watch his feet. His yep. feet are different than other safeties. He's got feet like a DV out there, like a corner. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. All right, yes, super chat. This is a great question. I saw Jay Brooks is uh, John the Brooks is third in the country in rushing with the remaining schedule being what it is. Does he make a legit run at the dope for back to back dokes, Aaron? Wow. Well, look, I mean, uh, you, you saw him in Hallettsville. I know he was a 3A star. I mean, this guy is really uh, – love the story of a guy in the transfer portal age who stuck with this, That's played it. behind Bijan and Roshan, uh, didn't get disgruntled when they recruited another five-star back over top of him and uh, lost the job to start the season and, and has seized the opportunity and is just playing great. I mean, uh, to me, that's one of the key advantages in this game for Texas is I don't – 
I don't see Oklahoma with a bell cow running back. They've got a stable of guys. Uh, Marcus Majors, a decent player. I mean, they got they got guys, but they don't have one guy. Um, Texas has two guys, and I think they have certainly had one RB1 emerge who's been phenomenal, which if they go to that three high safety look that Rod talks about all the time, you can pound the rock. Uh, this guy is feeling it right now. Uh, and he's kind of, when we talk about it on the, uh, the end game watch, uh, Jerry and Rod, he kind of is kind of a mixture of Rojo and Bijan. He's got enough shake to make you miss and make force arm tackles. And then he's got enough power to run through those. And I know one thing you like about Jonathan Brooks, Rod, is his balance, his ability oh, to stay balanced through the tackle. Yeah. It's amazing. But, like the next level, I mean, I see a lot of defenders, they go at his legs and they get, I mean, what would usually be a nice ankle tackle or a nice way to bring the guy down, and he just finds a way to keep his feet and keep his balance. It's not the same as a Rojo and Bijan at the second level, but it's just as effective where he just ends up making the guy miss and breaking off long runs. Like I said, he's not as fast as a Bijan. Uh, hell, maybe he's as fast as Rojo, but he's not as powerful as Rojo. But, man, he is really, really effective. What I like most about him is his patience and his, his balance. He's a really patient runner, and he and Cedric Baxter. We talked about this with Cedric Baxter. There's a difference between being patient and dancing. That's There's right. a fine line between it. And Cedric Baxter at the time can dance at the second level. You see, Jonathan Brooks is patient, allowing blockers to get in place, allowing the play to develop. He knows exactly where he needs to hit, where the crease is supposed to hit, where we're supposed to see the daylight. And you can see that once he once he sees it, boom, uh, he gets to the next level, and then he can make guys miss. So I. I'm pleasantly surprised. One of my big concerns was the running game. I'm not concerned about it anymore. Hey, and, and guys, I think one of the things with – and this is, I think, why Cedric Baxter kind of ascended early in fall camp this year. The toughest thing for me, everybody says pass protection, pass protection, pass protection, because if you give up a sack, it's magnified on TV, right? I think the toughest thing for young backs is to keep their eyes up on contact, to not yeah. drop your head and eyes on contact, so you know where the next guy is, Rod, right? Jonathan Brooks is an experienced back. If you watch him, he doesn't drop his eyes on contact. So when he knows he's – he's always knows where the next defender is. Wow. That's, That's part of being an experienced running back at a high level for me. And, one of, and I think the most – the least talked about, but most important piece to a running back outside of visions, vision is eyes up on contact. And he does Honestly. it. Extremely well. Jared, honestly, you just hit the nail on the head. Honestly, for a lot of positions that have to be physical, you know, uh, you know, obviously during the game with frequency, whether you're talking about D-line, linebackers. I remember one of our old uh, D-line coaches in, in high school used to always talk about that with his linebackers and with his front seven guys. He'd say, I hate players that close their eyes on contact. He said, I hate players that close their eyes, drop their eyes, drop their head on contact. He said, what good are you to me if you make contact with a blocker or with a player and then you can't see where the hell you're going or see where the ball is? Yeah. And he would always say, I, I can't stand it. He would go, he'd be yelling and screaming. But it is a next level skill and trait to be able to make contact but still keep your eyes up and eyes open. Yes. And it, 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 it's, it's almost something for – it's. it's it's almost counterintuitive, right? Naturally, as a human being, we take contact, we shut our eyes, we close our eyes, and we brace for contact. We're basically asking you to, to, to battle against that as a defender and make that contact to keep those eyes up and keep them open. And, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a, something I look for as a if I was a scout in a lot of different positions, not just running. 
Hey, by the way, Aaron, Rod, before we get the super chat, it's imperative for a defensive lineman. If yeah. on contact you drop your head, you're one, you're not going to know where the ball is. <laughs> Two, you better have one great move because you're not going to have a second one at that point. Yeah. <laughs> your bag's going to be empty after one move if you drop your head and your eyes on contact, all right? And I can guarantee you this. If Kyle Flood is watching tape and they see a guy that drops his eyes on contact, where are they running? They're running at that guy because they know after they make contact, he's out of the play. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Period. All right, Money. Shannon Hanson, uh, super chat here. Bijan would have won the Heisman this year if he was still here. Yes, that's true. Um, and Texas would have won the national title if Kevin Durant stayed two years, but th- that's why these conversations are <laughs> Oh, you has something in their, up their sleeves. But I know Sark has some, too. This has always been a game of physicality in trenches. For Texas, it has to be this year because that's where their advantage is, Aaron. Oh, big time, big time. It's got to be. Sark talked about it Monday. Uh, physicality is the DNA of their team, right? They don't do a lot of you know zone read plays where you let a ta- like a, an end come and go unblocked because you're going to run around him. Everything's based on double teams and traps. And uh, Rod's had the stats about – you know, they pull more linemen than, than most people in the country. Even on the perimeter, they want your the receivers have to block. That's been a frustration yeah. of A.D. Mitchell sometimes when he misses the blocks. This is a physicality game. Uh, I trust it 100% on the defensive side because they've been physical all year. Uh, they've blown some coverages and they've given up some plays, but they've been physical and tough at the point of attack all season long. Uh, offensively, we've seen it, you know, somewhat up and down. Uh, I expect to see the most physical Texas team we've seen on Saturday. I agree with that 100%. I think they're going to be more physical than they were against Bama. I do too. And, and I think this, Rod, I, here's the here's one thing I want your opinion on. So against Bama, the first quarter of that game when Bama was having success running, the one thing I noticed, Texas didn't have any defensive linemen's feet across the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's happening against Oklahoma. I think Texas is going to be attacking in this game. What, well, I, I don't know what you think. Am I wrong there? No, I think they, they'll be extremely aggressive uh, on the defensive line. And I, I think what Oklahoma's going to try to do is make Texas play with lighter boxes because uh, they spread you out, that deer and shoot. They want to spread wide splits for the wide receivers. We want to try to get you to play with light box. The problem for Oklahoma there is that I think Texas, actually their lighter box is probably more effective than most teams' light box. Because right. the light box with a Tavondre Sweat and a Byron Murphy and a Jalen Ford, right? Uh, you got some of the best run defenders in the country in the light box. So I don't actually think Texas will be that. And Oklahoma's not a, a juggernaut in the run game. And they're averaging, I think, less than four yards per carry. It's really just a complement to their passing game. I think Texas actually will do a really good job of being able to shut down the run with light boxes. I'm with you. The, 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 the real question will be against Dylan Gabriel when they get pressure on him, because they will. All right. How does Dylan Gabriel respond? Because he hasn't had this type of pressure that Texas is going to apply. Uh, because I, I think if Texas can't get to him organically, which I think they will be able to, then they're going to come with some fire. And we've seen PK lately. I've got to go start tracking the blitz rates. I, I think off eye test alone, he's blitzing more. Yeah. In my just off the eye test, do you think he's blitzing more? I think he's blitzing more, maybe because he's got better personnel to do it. I think he's blitzing more just from what I can tell. I think he is. I think he didn't against Kansas maybe because they had – they brought so much. Like yes. I said, the yes. defensive line, you had to be a little more conservative with them because of the option, especially early, right, because you can run yourself out of plays against Kansas. But, I, yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's the difference between OU and uh, Kansas. Uh, Kansas offense, you know, with Jalen Daniels could really stress you 
because they had they were so multiple. Rod, talk about that versus the Viren shoots different than what it was. You know, look, I think Art Browse used to run the ball 61% of the time and throw it 39 at their strength. This OU team can't do that. But talk about the differences. Your D-line had to be a little more conservative against Kansas because of that option run game versus what they're going to see against Oklahoma. Yeah, because like you said, right, they're not trying to penetrate. They kept those guys running uh, east and west, <laughs> trying to chase down the option. And for, for Kansas, you could argue they didn't run it enough. They probably should have tried to run the option a little bit more. In the second half, though, PK was very adamant about stopping the run because they played a lot more single high safeties, yeah. adding another defender in the box is what you're doing. In the first half, it was pretty much split uh, between two high safety looks and single high safety looks. So I think it was a little different, the adjustment they made. I think in this game, they want to be uber aggressive. So I mean, they're about penetration in this game, trying to penetrate and get in the backfield. So you might see Oklahoma use Texas aggressiveness against them. So watch early on. They might go to the screen game. They might go with some misdirection. Texas is a fast flow defense. I mean, they are fast to the football. They see, they see ball. They go ball. They hunt ball. All right, that's where they go. And you might see Oklahoma early on a little misdirection. Because Texas is gonna be hyped. They're gonna be hyped. They're gonna be ready to get after Dylan Gabriel and get after Oklahoma. And you could potentially use that hype against them. Uh, they'll be in a charged emotional state, and you could just. You know, and invite them to come on through. They really hype on an early blitz to come on through, and you can hit a big play and pop something on the screen. So watch that early on too. And even uh, double passes early on. I've seen, you know, you've seen that out of teams. That'd be something that Oklahoma would take from Texas and throw it back in their face because Texas loves to double pass so much. These are things that coaches do in rivalry games. So I wouldn't be surprised if I saw some exotic early on just to use Texas aggressiveness against them. Because I'm with you. I think they're thinking about penetrating, resetting the line of scrimmage consistently. And if they got to do that by blitz, and I think PK is willing to do it. I agree. Um, hey, Aaron, um, we got a few more minutes left here, but I want you to tell Texas fans about the uh, plans Friday, obviously. Uh, Terry Black's sure. barbecue. So all the Texas fans on here uh, watching us know where to find us Friday. Uh Terry Black's Barbecue on Main Street in downtown Dallas. Uh, if you know where Deep Ellum is, it's really downtown, but just east of downtown, uh, past one, past 30. Uh, and it's a great spot, man. I was there last year. We weren't doing anything. We had done something else uh, for the radio station. And we got out there, and, and Terry Black is a great guy. I'm based out of Lockhart, Texas, and they've, they're have they blowing up, right? they got a spot uh, in Fort Worth and Dallas now, Houston, Waco, uh, running downtown Austin right on Barton Springs. And it's just a great spot and uh, for, for your – you know, viewers on Inside Texas, subscribers and folks on the Longhorn live stream that want to come out and just looking for a spot where you can park, you can get some great food, you can hang out. The weather's going to be tremendous on Friday. We're going to be there from three to seven. I believe you and Bobby are going to do a live stream yep. from Terry Black's uh, three to four. We're going to do some broadcasting there on the horn uh, to Austin and from there from four to seven. And uh, it's just a great spot. And I know a lot of Longhorn fans are looking for a spot when they get to Dallas, they land in the plane or they get to their hotel, drive up from Austin, whatever. Looking for a spot to come relax, get some food, uh, easy parking, that kind of thing. And uh, Terry Black's is our spot. It's a great place, uh, indoor, outdoor. We'll be on the outdoor patio enjoying the nice weather on Friday. But man, they got plenty of space, wonderful food. The barbecue is five star and uh, drinks and full bar televisions. If they're baseball playoff games going on, we'll be watching those uh, and getting ready for Texas OU. It's a perfect spot. It's on Main Street in Deep Ellum, uh, down in kind of west downtown, east downtown Dallas. That's where we'll be. Three to seven on Friday. 
Perfect. Yeah, and Bobby Burton, myself, will be there. Hey, look, I got to tell you guys, how big has this game gotten? My 17-year-old son texted me yesterday, hey, 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 can I go with you to the game? Can I go with you to the house? <laughs> <laughs> asked that one other time. That was Alabama game last year, okay? So oh, wow. he was with me this year for the Wyoming game, but this was one texting me, like, I'm getting – we're leaving Thursday. He's getting out of school Thursday. We're going to go up there so I can go to high school game. Whatever, but he'll be at Terry Black's too. So if there's anything y'all want to give me hell about at Terry Black's, my son will be right in there with y'all, man. Uh, just talk NBA oh, with nice. him, and he'll be an open book. Um, somebody asked what I'm going to order at Terry Black's. Nothing with mayonnaise, nothing with honey butter. Just a brisket plate with barbecue <laughs> sauce, guys. But y'all, if I, <laughs> somebody's asking if Taylor Swift's going to be there. Gosh, I hope not. Oh, <laughs> maybe too. <laughs> hey, that's a good question right there, Rod, on the Super Chat. Are there any adjustments you got to make when you're playing a left-handed quarterback? Does it change anything for you? That is interesting. I, I don't think it would change anything for me as a defender. I'm trying to think. I mean – not really. I mean, there are some certain arm angles, I guess, that may be a little different, um, but I don't think it changes much at all for, for me. What about you, Jerry, in terms of the yeah. scouting? My, my, only thing, my only thing with that would be, and, and obviously I'm not in UT analytics, right? Um, but if I broke down every pass Dylan Gabriel's thrown in his six years now of college football, if there is a decided percentage, he goes to one side of the field. Yeah. Right? That's the thing I'm looking for. Like, we've talked about, okay, Quinn Ewers, we know because we watch every one of his games. What are his strengths throwing the ball down the field? Yeah. Middle, he's tremendously accurate, intermediate, deep. Left side, more accurate, deep than right sideline accuracy, deep. Right mm -hmm. side, deep is probably his least accurate throw he makes. We see every throw Quinn makes, though, right? So I'm not UT analytics. If they've gone through six years – almost six years now, Dylan Gabriel from UCF to now playing in the same system, by the way. Yep. They will have some analytics on him. Eight to 12 yards, he throws left 80%, right 20%. They may have a breakdown of that, but I don't have that in front of me, and I honestly don't have time to go through six years of tape. <laughs> <laughs> I usually would, but I got a baby now, so I don't have it either. It's <laughs> <laughs> good stuff right there. Uh, all right, yeah, this is going to be good. Uh, we feeling good about this? Texas and OU, the 119th meeting. Uh, conversations all week long and uh, still more to come on this. This is going to be a heck of a game. Longhorns, uh, five and a half, six-point favorite. And, uh, you know, gosh, 49 nothing last year. We started the show and the broadcast asking, how much better is Oklahoma from 49 nothing to now? We know they didn't have Dylan Gabriel last year either, uh, which, I think you know, being in the stadium that for that game, that's a huge factor. The the the, the disparity between him and the next quarterback was like, gosh, oh. the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, so it was huge, and they couldn't really function as an offense at that point. Uh, so, you know, really just got out of control. I expect this to be a really good football game. Looking forward to a classic. Last time we are talking about a game like this was maybe 2008 when the Longhorns uh, won at, what, 45-35? Yeah, classic. Legendary. Hey, 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 by the way, we had the, I, I want this question for you guys because we had the question. we had a question the other night on this. Or maybe it was one of the coffee and footballs this uh, week. What's the most impactful tech play in the Texas OU game you've seen? I'm going to throw mine out there since I already had the question while y'all think about it. Mine was Jordan Shipley's kickoff return in the 45 game because Texas was on the brink of getting blown out. And Oklahoma, I think, had scored the first two possessions. It didn't look like Texas could stop OU at that point in time. 
And that kickoff return there may have swung momentum more than any other play I remember. A lot of people say Stoney Clark. That's a last play of the game situation. That was massive. But as far as a play that swings momentum in a game like that, that's the one that comes to mind first for me. That's a good one. Yeah. It's got to be one. Honestly, I'm going to be selfish and take my pick six, man. I turned the momentum. (laughs) I did. I turned the momentum. Man, we were up. You know, we were 14 to three at that point, something like that. Oh, man. We should have won that damn game. That, I'll take I'll take my own damn play that we should have won the game at that moment. And I was I was for sure at that moment. I'll think to myself as I returned the pick six, damn, I'm finally gonna beat Oklahoma and I'm gonna be the reason we did it. Damn right. And the next kickoff return, they returned all the way down deep in our territory and they end up scoring right before the half. Yeah. Yeah, that's where Oklahoma fans would say that, that, that kickoff return. That's the, no, but that's the story that I think to Jerry's point. The momentum shifts in this game are palpable. Yes. And you can, because of the way the crowd is split, you can almost feel them. You can hear them. You can feel the momentum shifts. And they are, they are so much more drastic than they are in just regular road or away games in this matchup because you, you can hear and feel the disappointment on one side, and then you see and feel the joy, <laughs> the overwhelming joy of the other side because the momentum has shifted and everybody can feel it. Y'all remember when Caleb Williams took that that uh, that what that fourth and one, 60-some yards for a touchdown, everybody went, hold up, I think something something shifted. Something something shifted. I don't I don't like the shifts. I, it smells different in the stadium. That happens in that stadium, and it happened when Jordan Schubert returned that kick for a touchdown. Everybody went. Oh, look, something shifted, and Sooner fans felt it, Longhorn fans felt it. Your hope is that if when that momentum shift happens in this game, that it's for Texas and not for Oklahoma. Well said. I mean, because the one, one of most recent vintage for me, because last year's game was not a contest, was the, the Caleb Williams fourth down run. Um, you know, two years ago when Sark and Texas were looking like they were going to blow Oklahoma off the field. And Spencer Rattler had been benched. And, he, you yeah. know, here came Caleb Williams, and the crowd goes crazy. And, Texas lines up, you know, in a goal line defense from the, what, the 40-yard line. Uh, and, you know, Jaron Thompson shoots a gap and misses a tackle on Caleb Williams, who takes it to the house. And, you know, they come back and win that game. You know, who knows? Sark may be 2-0 and against this, this Oklahoma team if they make that stop right there. And Because Lincoln Riley, I mean, think about the balls he had there to, to run out a freshman quarterback for oh, his yeah. first play on fourth down in that environment and flip the game, totally change the game. Um, gosh, I mean, there's just to Rod's point about how quickly the, the momentum can swing that play. And then if you remember, Texas was still up big in the third quarter and Xavier Worley kept bringing the ball out of the end zone from like eight yards deep in that game and getting tackled at the 10 yard line in the Oklahoma territory. And their side would go crazy. Yeah. And the Longhorn fans would, would like be, you know, throwing stuff because now you're backed <laughs> up again, their crowds going nuts and you can just, I mean, the avalanche and the snowball down the hill gets going both mm-hmm. ways in this game. And especially if you get backed up uh, in the wrong quarter in your own end zone or in the opponent's end zone, that can really flip this game in a big way. I've said before, and I don't know if either one of you have ever been to a Final Four basketball game, but Texas OU reminds me of a Final Four basketball game because it's a neutral site and the the, the momentums or the changes in that stadium are like the arena in a basketball game of runs. Uh, like and, and the losing team does feel like their season's over for a few days. The fans. I mean, it remi- it's the only football 
game that reminds me of a Final Four basketball game, which is one of the great sporting events that ever go to in one's lifetime. So and that, it, it, this is the only football game. Like Georgia, Florida doesn't do that for me in Jacksonville. It just doesn't. This Texas OU game always feels like that when I'm there. That's good. Agreed. That's that is good. I love that. And now just yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, we got just a couple minutes left. Um, I think we had one super chat left, uh, Matthew. Uh, but I want to thank everybody. Obviously, I'll let uh, Aaron take us out of here. Uh, but uh, Jay Wall 321 does OU go hurry up all game and slow our D rotations, which have been critical for our fourth quarter resurgence? I actually love this question. I'm glad this is the last question. It's a good one. As we say, okay, Texas, what they've done so well this year is they've kept the players fresh. I think Byron Murphy played 18 snaps against Kansas. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy number for a player that good. Um, but does OU, one, go tempo more to keep Texas from substituting, one? And two, what happens if Byron Murphy and Sweat have to play 50 snaps in a game? Do they still have the conditioning, even though that's been a strength to Texas? They haven't been pressed to play that much in a tight game yet. Yeah. Uh I'll let Rod answer, but I think the weather will help, right? 70, 70 degrees at kickoff will help. It helps. Uh, that helps us watching it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and watching uh, Iowa State last week and then watching in Cincinnati, they do go fast. We know that about a Kendall Bryles team. Uh, this will be the fastest tempo Texas has seen this year. Uh, they'll move. They really get to the line of scrimmage and go. But that also can be a hindrance, Rod, if you're not getting first downs, right? If you're not moving the line and you're not able to run the ball, uh, Texas can take advantage of that. Same time, I, I like the, the question from – uh, the the, uh, the super chat there because that's a that's a good strategy if you can keep Texas from keeping fresh bodies you know throughout a, a drive and throughout the game. I would if I was Oklahoma, I probably would run up tempo to keep them from substituting with certain rotations and certain personnel groups. Right? If say I like the safeties that are out there, and I think yeah. I have a matching advantage, I go we're going we're going up tempo guys. I got to keep them. I put them out there. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I don't want to sub anything. Let's go. Or uh, if you like the D-line you got in there, you think you got a favorable matchup there because maybe they decide to give Murphy, uh, you know, a blow or sweat a blow. All right. You know what, guys? I think we need to up-tempo this thing. We need to run the rock here. It's an opportunity to do it. I would probably go there. They're going to always have a certain up-tempo to their offense. But in terms of being deliberate so that you can keep the opposing team from substituting, I would do it situationally to make sure that I got the matchups I want. Favorable. Hey, Rod, do you think we see the Red Cat in this game, Savion Red? We saw it in the Wyoming game. We haven't seen it since. you think this pops back up in this game? Uh, start yardage, yeah. And I went in the red zone if he'll break it out. Just decide, you know what, red zone, break it out, and then throw out of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Start doing some for, fucking stuff in the red zone. He's another one of those Metroplex kids. I'm looking for some Red Cat in this game. All right, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry, what's coming up uh, the rest of the week here on uh, Longhorn live streaming on the on the on Texas football? Yeah, uh, yeah. Want to take want to take a second first? Uh, Inside Texas, uh, we have a special uh, right now. If you're a listener to On Texas Football, there it is. Go over to Inside Texas promo code OTFIT23. One dollar for two months. Give Inside Texas a try. Over 315 articles per month. Ten articles per day over on Inside Texas on team recruiting. Basketball season's going, basketball recruiting. Uh, but we've had tons of stuff on Texas OU this week in recruiting. Again, $1 for two months, OT Fit 23. Over 300 new subscribers inside Texas have take advantage, taken advantage of this offer. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we have coffee and football in the morning. We'll have a special guest, I believe. Maybe Coach Brian Irwin on with us. I believe Rod and uh, 
Ian Boyd are going to get after it in football theory, Texas OU edition. That's mm -hmm. coming up as well. Uh, we have quarterback room. Rod and I will take a look at the Texas quarterbacks, OU quarterbacks. Trey Owens may join us on Thursday to be a guest. Yes. I know, I know. And then Friday we'll be in Dallas with Aaron. Uh, we'll have the uh, morning live stream. Bobby and I will be the uh, UT Texas X's golfing event Friday morning. Then we'll head on over to Terry Black's barbecue, join Aaron uh, and Rod and everybody. Rod will be on uh, a remote there in Austin, but uh, Aaron will be in uh, Dallas with Bobby and I. And we're going to talk Texas OU until kickoff on Saturday morning. I mean, in Texas, the host team in recruiting. Uh, got a great list of 2025s over at Inside Texas. It's building right now. Michael Fasusi, a Texas OU battle, the number one offensive lineman in the state in 2025. He told Justin Wells and myself today he's going to be in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, that is wow. like Daniel Cruz. That's one of the big battles in Texas next year between Texas and OU is Michael Fasusi, who has NFL upside as a pass protector for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, that's what's coming up on Inside Texas uh, and on Texas football this week. All right, guys. Rod, we'll see you in the morning, my friend. Go, go yes, kiss that baby, you know what I mean? Change the yes, diapers. Sir. Jerry, thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks to everybody. All the super chats, all the questions, all the fun. It's, uh, gosh, uh, the game of the year in the Big 12. Looking forward to it. Thank you all. Welcome. Welcome.